I oftentimes think when I'm in my office with the preschool and then even just on Sunday mornings, we are blessed with noise here. We're blessed with the fact that there are children here. We are blessed with the fact that uh, our rooms are well used, our building is well used, and uh, I just love what is happening in, in the life of this church. Hey, before we dive in real quick, if I can just take uh, one quick second, uh, grab your bulletin out that you got as you walked in and grab the connection card out uh, that would have been in there. Would love everyone to take about 60 seconds and just fill this out real quick. Uh, would love for you to let us know who you are. Let us know, as Megan said, maybe you have a prayer request. You can let us know if maybe you want to take a different step in your relationship with Christ. Maybe you're interested in baptism. Uh, maybe you want to serve in a certain way. Um, we'd love for you to let us know uh, via this. And then after service, take it to one of the different um, baskets and drop it off there. But if this is your first time or if you've never turned in one of these, go ahead and take it to the connection card, which is the desk out in the lobby. Have a free gift for you being here today with us. Um, if you want to use a fake name, if you've never, if you've been here before, you could try that too. Um, either way, take that there. We'd love the chance to connect with you. Uh, just welcome you and say uh, thanks for being here this morning. This morning we are wrapping up our series called The Table. How many of you guys were here last week and enjoyed? How many are a little disappointed that there's not food this morning? I am too a little bit. I, I forgot to eat breakfast. If you haven't been here with us, we've been in a series called The Table, where everything changes at the table of God. We talked in the first week about how God always provides, no matter what, and that his provision goes far beyond our faithfulness, which is pretty amazing. In week two, we had our friends from Children of Promise, which is a really cool child sponsorship ministry, which I'm still waiting to hear back from them for sure. But uh, I just want to say thank you for the offering that we took up for them. We took up, I think, uh, almost $500 for an offering to just give to them in their ministry. And also, I want to say we had uh, almost 10 children sponsored, which is just amazing. So, uh, yeah, we can clap for that. Uh, thank you all who uh, did that. And if you're still interested, uh, you can go online to their website if you're interested in knowing more about uh, or getting a child to sponsor. And then last week, as I said, we had sort of fun and we sat around tables and we talked uh, together. And in particular, we talked about the idea of who isn't sitting around the table with God, who maybe God has given us influence and uh, opportunity to share the love of Christ with. How many of you guys have been praying for your person this week? Mine was fun. It was interesting how uh, I had more than one person on my card, but it's interesting how God brought uh, one of those people in my life. Uh, this week that I normally wouldn't have seen them. Um, and so I really encourage you, if you haven't already done that, if you weren't here, here's your challenge. Pick a person or persons in your life who maybe do, don't know the love of Jesus. They aren't currently connected in relationship with him, who maybe you could begin to pray for, you could begin to invest deeper in relationship with, and maybe be able to leverage your relationship to share the love of Christ with them. And maybe it, maybe it's an invite to church, maybe it's just going out to lunch with them every so often. Maybe it's just literally praying for them uh, consistently every day and just seeing how God may move. As we begin this morning, I, uh, I we're going to talk, I mentioned before, we're going to talk about sacrifice and we're going to talk about communion. But before we get into that, I, I want us to do something real quick. Uh, you know, we practiced talking in church last week, and this morning I want us to talk just for a, just a small minute. I was thinking this week about... Uh, a movie that I really loved my senior year of high school. And so here's what I want us to do for just a second. Uh, 
I want you to turn to someone, find, even if you have to get up for just a second, find someone, and I want you to tell them not what's your favorite movie of all time, but what's your favorite movie that came out the year that you graduated from high school, okay? One, I, well, hey, or around that time. Come on, y'all. Real quick, take, take 30 seconds and, and, and try to remember. If it's close there, that's fine, or, or while you're in high school. All right, bring it back. Bring it back in here. So, so I graduated from high school in 2007. And probably hands down, even though there were a lot of good movies as I was, I, I, I was working on this message and I knew the movie I was going to talk about and I realized there was more stiff competition than I originally thought about. But this movie came out actually the summer. It technically I just graduated, but it still counts. But how many of you guys have seen the first Transformers movie? Oh man, so good. I mean, now I can't, I can't say every part of it is really great or good, uh, but who doesn't like robots just trying to destroy the world? Am I right? It's a great movie. No, to be honest though, one of the reasons why I love the movie is I love nerdy things like Transformers, but also, you know, there's this guy who's kind of this lovable loser who uh, eventually finds himself with this babe, which I mean, hello, that's basically my life story. And so, you know, I can identify with Samuel Witwicky, the main character. I just haven't had the robot fight yet, uh, but maybe it'll come. But out of that movie, uh, maybe there are certain lines from movies that just impact you um, on a deep level. You know, of course, there's the famous line from Dumb and Dumber, so you're saying there's a chance. Um, there are those sort of lines. I'm kidding. You're judging me, and I can feel it right now. But is there ever a movie that is just, it's not a movie that was made to um, point you to Jesus, but there's something said in the movie that just really kind of sticks with you. From Transformers, from the first time I saw it, I saw it like three times in theaters, which is kind of crazy, but um, there's a line in the movie, it's said multiple times, and it just goes like this. It says, no sacrifice, no victory. It begins first by uh, hearing from the main character, his, his like, ancestor who was this uh, explorer. And his, his common line that he just kept saying was, no sacrifice, no victory. And throughout the movie, it's sort of this theme that there's no victory without sacrifice. This morning, I, I want to talk about this theme. I want to talk about how this applies to our lives as followers of Jesus. That I'm pretty sure you probably could go down a lot of roads for what that could mean uh, in any sort of context of your life. But I want to talk about uh, some of the reasons of, of why that is so true for us as followers of Jesus and maybe what that means for us. So if you have a Bible this morning, you can open up to uh, the Old Testament book, book number two in our scripture called Exodus. And let me tell you a little bit about what we're going to read before uh, we actually read what we're going to read. So if you've never read the story of Exodus, it's a really cool story. Uh, essentially what happened is God had this special relationship with this group of people. And eventually this group of people were dis, uh, they, they weren't obedient to God. They didn't listen to him and they found themselves enslaved in Egypt. And they spent quite a long time enslaved in Egypt. But God in his goodness and his graciousness, uh, rose up a, a leader, a rescuer named Moses. Now Moses has a crazy story. If you've never, um, read, uh, the story of Moses, you need to read it. It's great. If, uh, he, there, there's murder involved, there's uh, putting children in baskets in water, 
But in particular, one of my favorite parts of the story is how God uses this man, Moses, who has this backstory that's not great, who doesn't feel well-equipped to do what God has called him to, which I can identify with that. And what he does, though, God begins to use Moses and his brother Aaron, also known as Aaron, uh, and he uses them, uh, thank you for the three or four laughs, uh, he uses them to perform these, these plagues. There's these ten plagues that happen. And these plagues, the whole reason that God does these plagues is to help show the people, one, that their God is powerful, and two, to show the Egyptians, and in particular Pharaoh, the one who is in charge, that God is the one true God. That no other gods or magicians or any sort of thing can do all of the same things that he can do. And so he goes through all sorts of plagues. I mean, there's locusts, there's uh, there's frogs, he turns the Nile River uh, into blood. I mean, there's some pretty big ones. But the one that sort of is the end all, the, the, the trump card that, that God lays down to see, like, I got you here, I'm sorry. There's this thing where what God tells the Israelites is just this. I'm going to have this thing called Passover. And essentially what's going to happen is on a certain day you're going to you're going to kill an animal and their blood is going to stand as a a, a sense of atonement, which is a sort, sort of this word for substitute for your own blood. And what I want you to do, Israelites, is to kill this animal and put blood on the door frames. Now, I know this is kind of gross and kind of weird when I think about it, right? Like if we saw someone doing this, we would probably call the police. Um, But this is what happened. And so the whole thing was this, is that the Spirit of God would come through Egypt on a certain night in any home that had done the sacrifice of the animal the way that God asked that they would cover the doorframe with the blood that was meant to be the sacrifice for the atonement of the sin in the lives of those people, that God would, his spirit would pass over them. But any house that did not have that, the oldest born, both of humans and animals, would be killed. Now again, there's lots of reasons where we could get into the justice of all that and all of those sort of things. I always go back to God is God and I am not. But anyways, this is what it happens. This is what it says in Exodus chapter 12. It just says this. On the same night I will pass through Egypt and I'll strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. I'll bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. For generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Now, this is a monumental moment in the life of the Israelite people. As God asked them to, for generations still today, Passover is celebrated. Now, if you don't know the rest of the story, it's pretty cool. You should go read it. Um, Pharaoh does let his people go, but there ends up being this thing where he has second thoughts. And, uh, you know, God just, you know, does a small thing, parts some seas and lets them get through. And it's a really cool story. Read it. But forever, it was marked as a moment for the people to be reminded of just the fact that their God is faithful. But it all began with sacrifice. You see, sacrifice really is about faithfulness and obedience. 
What's amazing about this story to me is just this. It took faith. It took faith and it took obedience on the part of the people. Now, I could totally have seen people who would have said, you know, God was silent. He got us to the point where we were enslaved ourselves. Are you really going to tell me that me, a slave, am going to give up a, 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 a animal, which would have been worth a lot of money, would have been a lot of my wealth at the time, that I'm just going to go on chance that this is going to work? I mean, truly, even though you've seen the miracles, if we're all honest, how many of us have seen God show up in our lives but then got scared the next time around? I have. There have been moments where God has gotten me out of situations. He's provided in ways I couldn't imagine. And it's crazy how it could have just happened. And then the next day I'm still like, I don't know, God, are you sure you can do this? I know this one's a little smaller. But truly, it took faith and obedience to do this. You see, without the sacrifice, there was no victory. There was no freedom. For generations, and still to this day, there is the celebration of this. The celebration of the fact that the, that, that the God of all the universe passed over them. That the God of all the universe was wholly gracious to them by even allowing them to have this opportunity. Now, there was a Passover meal where everything changed. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, it just says this. It says, The hour came, and Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After, after taking the cup, he gave thanks and he said, Take this. Divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. We commonly refer to this story as the Last Supper or, or the Lord's Supper. If you've ever been around church, I guarantee you've heard about it and we, uh, you've probably maybe even partaken in it and celebrated it. There's a, such a beautiful connection between Passover and communion. You see, in Exodus, we see that it's for generations they will celebrate this. And for generations, this was the integral moment. While there were other moments along the way in which we see God having certain promises, certain moments for his people to look back at his faithfulness, in many ways when this happens, when Jesus sits with his followers, he's essentially saying this is the new Passover. And that before, it was you making a sacrifice so you could have victory. But today, now, I'm going to be the sacrifice so you can have victory. And everything will change in this moment. 
You see, Jesus sacrificed for us so that we could be in communion with him, that we could have relationship with him. He made this way for us, not because of anything we could do or deserve or earn, but as a showing of his goodness and his grace to show how much he loves us. And it's this beautiful thing. In Romans, Paul Paul talks about this idea of Jesus and uh, himself being the sacrifice. And he says this in Romans chapter uh, 3. He says, For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that. That Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God has been fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and included them in what he would do in his present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. He makes sinners right in the sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith so that we may be right with God through faith, not just by obeying the law. This is beautiful, beautiful language to just let us know the truth of this. Without Jesus, we didn't stand a chance. Without Jesus, we have zero victory. Without Jesus, we are still slaves to sin. Without Jesus, we are still in a system where there is a law, and the law was good, but it was not complete. We ourselves could not really measure up. I mean, in some ways, it's been like how I would, I would say this. My, uh, my son uh, Silas turned one last Sunday, and for his uh, birthday, uh, he got a uh, basketball hoop. Now it's the big one. You know, we're trying to get it early. Some of you know that I had MBA aspirations that I gave up uh, to follow the Lord in ministry. It has nothing to do with my lack of talent or height or anything like that. It's simply because the Lord called me. But my son Silas is about this tall. And even on the lowest rung, he can't make it. In many ways... That's kind of like what it was for us before Jesus came. There was no way we could do it. it it's like asking, it's like asking a, a child to try to dunk on a basket that is ten times the height of them. It's just not going to happen. You see, what my son Silas needs right now is his father, who deeply loves him, who cares about him, to on behalf of him pick him up and allow him to have the opportunity to make the goal. You see, in Jesus' coming, that's essentially what God did for us. He said, you on your own cannot do this. Currently, you're in a cycle of defeat. If you read the Old Testament, you will see a constant cycle of God being gracious to people and them still failing. You'll see a God who makes new ways for them, and yet they decide to take 
the wrong road. In Jesus, we see him saying, no, 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 no. No longer will we just try to make a way or show you a way, but I will come and I will be the way. Through me, you can make it the Father. In Romans chapter 12, Paul wrote this. This has been a verse that you may have heard me share multiple times over the last year. It's because it's been one that God has been constantly throwing at me, trying to keep working through me. It just says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and perfect, pleasing will. Can I be honest with you why I think God continues to bring this verse up to me over and over? And maybe you can identify with this as well. So many times over and over, I find myself looking more like the rest of the world, the rest of the culture, than I look like Jesus. That there are moments where the things that I consume look like what someone who doesn't follow Jesus, who hasn't been transformed, created anew in Jesus, would consume. The thoughts that I have, the perpetual worry, the fears, the way that I parent, the way that my marriage is, even at times the way that I handle my finance. Now, don't, don't get worried like your pastor is about to, you know, like go be, you know, living on the street or something like that. But I think all of us, if we're honest, can find ourselves sometimes being formed more into the image of what culture says than what Christ says. There are times where I care about looking like everyone else rather than being holy and set apart. No sacrifice, no victory. When I think about that as followers of Jesus, I think of it in two regards. The first is just this. Without Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice, we have no victory. Just plain and simple. Just plain and simple. We, we have no victory in our life. We don't really have the hope in the future that is promised us in heaven. And we don't have the peace and the joy and the love in this world. But the other thing is just this. Part of being called and being a new creation in Christ, of being transformed, is just this. I have to recognize that I too am called to be in the work that Jesus is in. Yesterday I had the opportunity to go to, uh, this is a rare thing, I went to a wedding that I wasn't doing, which is really weird by the way. Sort of I felt like, what do I do with my hands right now? I'm so used to being up there and found myself like mouthing even like the vows. And Anyways, it was one of my wife uh, Hunter's uh, cousins. 
Whenever I go to weddings, one of the one of the beautiful things about a wedding is I'm reminded of how we get this picture of what what the church and Jesus's relationship is is what ours should be. You see, throughout Scripture, it talks about how the church is the bride of Christ. That you can't love Jesus without loving the church, and vice versa. You can't just say, I love Jesus, but I'm not really into his church. It would be as if someone gave me a gift card and then they wrote, Pastor Aaron, I love you. Please use all of this gift card just for yourself. Do not give it to your wife, Hunter. Love so-and-so. And yet at times we do that, don't we? There's times where we try to separate the two. You see, the beauty of when it talks about this is it talks about how Jesus sacrificed himself for us, the church. That he laid down his life. And that the call to follow Jesus isn't a call to just say, thank you so much for sacrificing and doing the heavy lifting. See you in heaven when I get there, I hope. But it's to join in his work, in his suffering, and even in his sacrifice. Now I want to talk personally about sacrifice for a moment. Not to be in, in, a, in a weird way. I want to have a, an open conversation real quick, transparent, as your pastor, who I love each and every one of you, and I love this church. As I've looked at um, just some of the, the forecast, the trajectory of where some things are right now, I'm, I'm recognizing just some patterns of uh, in some of our giving trends, which no one ever loves talking about these sort of things. But in our giving trends, we're seeing that things are a little bit slower or lesser than what we projected going into this year. As we saw God doing some amazing things, and we said, all right, God, this is what we feel like we're going to do. Uh, and we felt like we were in good standing to make those decisions. But at this point, uh, we've just seen some of the giving trends not coming in as we would have liked or as we would have hoped or would have thought. Now, it's always easy to say, someone else will do it. Someone else has got this. And yet I feel every single person who calls Jesus Lord and Savior, who calls a church their body, has the opportunity to play a part in a role. My wife Hunter and I have been discussing what our role may be. Not to get weird, but, you know, there's always going to be an easy excuse to say, I can't do that. We, like many people in our age bracket, got told, if you want to have a good life, you want to be successful, go to college, get a degree, sign on these loans, it doesn't matter. You'll figure it out later. And you know what? We figured out later. We have the lovely opportunity each month to uh, pay about $1,000 a month in our student loans. I don't say that to try to be weird, but just to give you a, a frame of reference. We pay more per month in our student loans than in our mortgage. What we found, though, is that that's not an excuse not to be a part of the work that God has called. In fact, I was looking at kind of our figures of what we've given in the last few years because uh, I was recognizing that we had made a commitment to the, 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 the next Vision Capital Initiative and uh, we recognize we have a little bit of ground to make up before the end of this year. But I, I looked and I recognized something that is super interesting. In uh, I'm not going to give you the number, 
But I recognize that one of our big, hairy student loan numbers that we have right now for the big payoff, we've given to the church in the last few years about that number. Now, I don't say that to be like, ooh, go Aaron, yeah, go us. Or for you to be like, wow, you're a financial idiot. You could have paid off your loans and had all this free money now. I say all of that because we recognize the fact that it has meant sacrifice, that there's been moments where we've said no to a vacation. We've said no to doing a home project. And let me just tell you, when your wife likes to watch HGTV, there's a lot of home projects that come around and you have no skills. But you know why I do not bemoan? I don't say, oh man, if we could have had that money to do these things. I don't say any of that. Do you know why? Because I have seen in our family's life over and over again, even when it was difficult, God show up and take care of it. Even when there were moments where it's like, I don't know if we can do this, God. God showed up. And even aside from that, it's worth it because I see some faces in this crowd. I see my friend Leanne, who got baptized last year, whose life got changed because of the ministry of this church. I see friends in here who have been a part of our recovery ministry. I see senior adults who found our church in the last few years who didn't have a place and have found a home. I see other parents of young toddlers who are with me like it's Hunger Games and we are saying we are so tired. We're on this journey together. And to me what I say is no sacrifice, no victory. And sometimes we sacrifice for other people's victory. Sometimes it's worth it saying, I don't need the things of this world because they're so temporary. I want what's eternal. I want those who are far from God to know Him. And so here's, here's sort of my ask. Are you willing to bring all that you have to share with a God who has given you all? Are you willing to bring your time, your talent, and your treasure to invest? And it's not just to meet budgets or to keep buildings up up and going, but it's so lives can be changed in the name of Jesus. So people who feel hopeless can experience hope. No sacrifice, no victory. We're going to end this morning by singing a few more songs and just worshiping. And during that time, you are invited to come to the table. Every person who calls Jesus their Lord and Savior is invited to the table. And in the top cup, you'll find the juice. In the bottom cup, you'll find the bread. And you are welcome during this time to do whatever you want to to worship, to, to do communion as a family if you want, or if you want to do it with a friend, or if you want to do it as an individual. But more so than anything else, my hope is that any sacrifice, you would begin by just saying, God, everything that I have is yours. And before you think about money, before you think about time, before you think about sacrificing anything, man, my hope and prayer is just that you would give yourself. You would give your whole heart to 
the God of all the universe who loves you and could take care of you better than you ever could yourself. Who loved you so much that he would send his one and only son into this world so you could have new life. May we begin there. And as Paul wrote, would then our hearts be transformed. Would you guys pray with me? God, I thank you for the fact that, God, today, God, we have victory. And it's not because there was anything that we could do to attain it. But, God, we have victory because you would love us in the midst of our brokenness by sending your son Jesus to come here. God, not just to show us the way, but to be the way. God, we thank you for the fact that his body was broken and his blood was shed. That through the shedding of his blood, God, it took away our sin. God, the sins of our past, the sins of our presence, and the sins of our future. But God, most of all, we thank you that death did not have the last word. That Jesus rose victorious after three days. That God, we don't serve a dead Savior, but God, we serve a risen Savior. God, I pray that as we come to your table, would we just be reminded of our son and daughtership in you? Would we be reminded of the sacrifice that you made for us? And God, I pray that you would begin to work in our hearts for possibly the sacrifices that we can make for you and your bride, the church. God, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You are invited to the table.